from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm not doing too bad. How are you, Michael? Doing okay. I haven't been up to too much, really. Just, um, you know, working on the yard. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. So, n- nothing too big going on. That's, well, you know what? Sometimes it's nice to have these downtimes. So, uh, especially especially this time of, of year. So, things are starting I don't know why I'm saying it this way. Things are starting to pick back up, not like they ever mm-hmm. stopped. But uh, for me, at least on this coast, it was the first weekend of Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, beyond that, it was also the last weekend for many of the favorite things at Epcot. Uh, the mm-hmm. you know the Club Cool, where you get your oh, Coke yeah. samples and the Fountain View Starbucks and the character spot that was in Communicore mm-hmm. and the Fountain of Nations that said they were you know closing that on the september 7th and mm-hmm. that was it and that it would dry up after that but then september 8th rolls around and that thing is still gushing like a fountain and so just kind of keeping me confused as i spent my entire day on saturday filming it because i thought that was the final day so uh yeah no i i it's nice having downtime because like just this weekend alone I did not stop moving. I was scared a lot. I, In my old age on Friday night, I slept my normal amount of sleep on, on Thursday night going into Friday. Woke up at like 9 a.m. on Friday. And then I did not go to sleep again until 8.30 on Saturday morning. Because oh I was goodness. up all night editing Halloween Horror Nights videos. And hmm. yeah, so it's... I'm I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime, and especially to my uh, trip out to Disneyland in in your coast, which will will be happening as of the time that this episode is released. Yeah, I wish I could have come down to join you, but I'm getting ready to go on some business travel. Yes, we're we're that. swapping coasts, but yeah, not states. <laughs> no, but I um oh my daughter and I went up to Apple Hill, which is a tradition. Uh, in the Sacramento area, Apple Hills, just up the hill, as we call it a little, up Placerville, Camino area, on the way to Tahoe, up Highway 50. And it's a whole, decades ago, a whole bunch of orchards got together and sort of put together this concept of um, making this festival of, you know, when the apples are ready to be picked, 
And then they they started bakeries, some of them. So they have all these baked goods and goodies you can get up there. You can get them frozen and bring them home. Then um, arts and crafts vendors started to come up. Then they started to sell food and barbecues and, and things like that. Now, some of the orchards also have like little, little pony rides. And now there's pumpkin patches and Christmas tree farms and, you know, little steam engines that take the, the youngsters around and... There are all kinds of stuff, and the different orchards and bakeries have different, you know, specialities. Like, you know, you go to this particular orchard if you want um, apple donuts. This one, if you want, you know, the um, Dutch uh, apple pies, and another one if you want apple crisps. And so it's it's a whole big deal now. Yeah, I saw the one photo yeah. of the dessert you posted, and it looked um, delicious. It's fantastic, and I am, I am. I just wish I knew the cookie recipe that they use for the bowl because you can we buy the apple crisps frozen and then you get the vanilla ice cream and they sell the cider sauce that goes over it so you can make everything but this cookie bowl and one year the employees almost gave me the recipe and then the owners stopped them understandably and the people that were working there because this is the beginning of the season they were brand new and i know if i asked them for that recipe they were going to give it to me because i had to sort of explain how to make apple crisp sundays and because they didn't know how but we were the first people to order them for the season and uh, but years ago i was told by someone at work there it was a cookie recipe from an old joy of cooking book that they adapted to make these shells and because those shells just really make it so <laughs> my daughter and I are sitting there eating these things trying to figure out what um okay what's in them so we know it's cinnamon and um nutmeg and my daughter's pretty sure it's oatmeal and I think she's right it sort of gives it mm. its substance yeah but a little flexibility yeah so I have an old Joy of Cooking book, and I'm going to start looking up cookie recipes. And we figured they probably bake them, you know, and really thinly, and then before, and then after they start cooling a little, they shape them. Yeah, and, well, and I bet instead of using like butter, if it's coming from the Joy of Cooking, there's always a good chance that it was like made with old fashioned lard, and yeah. that also, mm-hmm. like. You know, it's <laughs> my mom still some of her cookie recipes just because they were like passed down from my grandma and stuff used lard instead of uh, instead of butter. And I swear those cookies, they, they stay more flexible and they also last so much longer than mm-hmm. in, in staying fresh than they do with butter. After butter, it's like any cookie after three days is is just instantly stale. And with these things. You make them with lard. It seems like they uh, they last for for like a week without a, and, any problem. You know, and that's probably – I'm sure you're right because they probably make all of these things like, you know, during the week when it's, you know, beginning of the week or something when there's not as many people going. And then they have them all through the weekend. Yeah. You know, when the crowds yeah. are there. So that's a good idea. So if there are any – if there's anyone out there – that is a baker that can give me any hints to this recipe, I'd be forever grateful. Because I would really, because we serve this during the holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, I bring the apple crisp down. If I could make these bowls 
you know, when we go to, when I go visit Carol's family and we go to make these, I would love to be able to make the bowls and bring them too. So that'd be great. Yeah. You'd just be showing off left and right there. <laughs> I would be, and it would just be a nice treat. Because, you know, my, my mother-in-law's too old now to come up. She used to come up every year on Carol's birthday and would go to Apple Hill. And so it'd be neat if I could bring that down, you know, to her. Oh, yeah, so absolutely be would cool. be. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that was it. So it was nice. I hadn't been able to go up there in a couple of years. And um, so it was nice to be able to do that again. A lot of really a lot of happy memories up there. Yeah, so. I, I love stuff like that. So, yeah, that's usually where the does, memories are formed. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it doesn't in a Sacramento area, it doesn't feel like fall really until you go to Apple Hill. So, um, and now that yeah. the weather's in the 80s instead of the 90s and 100s, it, I think we're starting to get into our fall season. I'd trade you. I'd trade you in a heartbeat right now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, we wanted to remind folks again about the Carolwood Society's 2019 meeting is right around the corner now. It is Friday, September 27, 2019 at the AMC Disney Springs 24 Theater, of course, in Orlando, Florida. And if you go, you can hear Tony Baxter tell you all about his work on the Big Thunder Mountain Railroads at Disneyland Walt Disney World and Disneyland Paris. Uh, Craig will have a link in our show notes where you can purchase tickets and um, I, I wish they, they would do that kind of thing here as well um, you know they would somehow duplicate mm-hmm. the event mm-hmm. especially since Tony Baxter lives <laughs> in Southern California that would be cool if they did that but maybe someday um Again, we want to remind you, those of you who listened to uh, our episode a few weeks ago about um, from Dave Bossert and Alan Coates, son of Claude Coates, how they're, you know, they still have their Indiegogo campaign running for a few more days. Um, for the book, Walt Disney's Imagineer, Claude Coates, The Making of Disneyland, From Toad Hall to the Haunted Mansion and Beyond. And I, they, I got an update, I think yesterday, that they were at 66 or 67 percent. So of their goal. So they're very confident that they are going to make it. I think they're about a week and a half or so away from yeah, that's awesome. this recording. Because I think it what, goes to September 20th or something. And um, so anyway, they have the – Craig will have their link in our show notes. Yeah. No, I – and I finally saw uh, other other outlets uh, – not outlets, I shouldn't say, but other, other history-based uh, like, – people that i follow on twitter and such that just found out about mm-hmm. about the indiegogo campaign and now I, i'm seeing it more and more pop up on social media so it's it's a shame that it, it's really coming down to the wire here with it that people are picking up on it but the important thing is it, it's getting out there and mm-hmm. and that Claude Coates gets gets the book that he deserves about him. So. Oh, absolutely! And what's really nice is that in their Indiegogo campaign, they they um, posted our interview. So, which was nice. Oh, that is super nice of them. Yeah, so, so yeah. generous. It was. It was very kind. So, um, and uh, I just got this notification. It might have been today. Uh, the Walt Disney Archives is celebrating its 50th anniversary next year, and to kick off the festivities, the Bowers Museum 
in Santa Ana, California, which is in Orange County, will host the Walt Disney Archives 50 Years of Preserving the Magic. Now, they're going to offer a rare look at some of the treasures of the archives. It's not just costumes. They're apparently going to have the um, office that they recreated for Saving Mr. Banks. Mm. And, and all kinds of things there. Um, it's a 10,000 square foot traveling exhibit, and it is going to open on March 7th, 2020. So for those of you who are planning a trip to Disneyland, uh, you know, around that, you know, around that time, and it, it's running for quite a while. Um, you know, you want to, I, I forget, I think it's running through September or something. You, um, yeah. you know, you might want to plan going out there. I know I am. I'm going to go there. And so um, we'll have a link in our show notes to um, the museum's website, although yep. there's nothing there right now about it. But if you're a D23 Gold member, they're going to have some special activities or, not only for this exhibit, but but for the 50th anniversary of the archives. So if you haven't been on d23.com lately, you want to start following that. So anyway, yeah, very very cool. So yeah. Okay, in our last episode, Craig and I talked about the D23 Expo. Speaking of D23, including uh, my experience with the reservation system and Craig's as a you know highfalutin sorcerer, <laughs> and and we also shared our thoughts about the Disney Legends ceremony and the announcements surrounding Disney Plus. I also gave my opinion about Disney's Galaxy Edge and my experience there. Uh, this week, we talk about why most Disney fans attend the Expo, really the Parks and Resorts panel and the Walt Disney Studios panel. Yeah. And I also attended a panel that was a homage to the career of Marty Sklar that I'll get into. And finally, we um, end this episode on why, uh, you know, why we think Disneyland needs the Main Street Electrical Parade, because we had the opportunity to see it um, when we were at the D23 Expo. So so you want to get your Mickey bars out of the freezer, sit back, and, and Craig and I will continue our conversation about the D23 <laughs> Expo. Should we move on? I mean, might as well. So okay. next one's right. a big one. Yeah, go behind the scenes at the Walt Disney Studios. So, Craig, what are what are the big things you're looking forward to in this one? I I, I mean, it's the Star Wars nerd to me, but obviously, Star Wars Episode Nine is is huge and as when we recorded our live stream right after the panel the the trailer hadn't been out at that point in time the little uh sizzle reel that they showed us and now that's out there and you know the the world lost their mind the same way we all did when ray is all of a sudden wearing a dark cloak and and has the red lightsaber that mm -hmm. it just I'm just uh, still don't know quite how that works but we've all seen it now in her fighting kylo ren and really going which, at it like again uh, which they've done before <laughs> yeah, yeah they have done it before but just it's it, it, the moment being in that room you know it's this is the last time where we're going to see that cast all together it it at it, it, it a comic event like that or you know, mm -hmm. Comic Con already happened, but with this, it's this this cast is done with it. That's it's moving on from there. So this was like 
for me, this was the biggest part, one that I would have been so happy for them to leave as the ending to the the entire session because this is like it's it's the moment for Star Wars. This is it after that I, with with this with this story that we've known and loved for years. But uh, that's a huge one for me. Yeah, Marvel. I'm I'm, I'm nervous about episode nine i am not a big fan of jj abrams i was Mm -hmm. one time until he killed the star trek series (laughs) uh, the star trek franchise and uh, you know some of the things he always he goes over the top he goes too big like in star trek which you know was it was it star trek beyond and the one with khan with butterscotch cummerbund which i didn't think he was a good con and um and, you know, it's not... So, yeah, okay, he and Spock fight. Okay, great. But they can't just have a fight. They have to have a fight on a ship. Okay, great. But it can't just be on the ship. The ship has to be crashing into Earth. Okay, great. But it just can't be Earth anywhere. It has to be in a Starfleet in San Francisco. And it has to be plowing through it, destroying skyscrapers and all that. I mean, everything is big, 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 over the top. And I, I think you saw that in the trailer with him when you had saw all those fighters, dozens and dozens of fighters. I, I forget which ones they were yeah. all lined up. Or, yeah, Kylo Ren and Rey are fighting, but they're not just fighting. They're on some sort of a ship in the middle of an ocean, in a big storm, in the dark. And I don't I, know. Sometimes he's just too much for me. I will not disagree with you at any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm actually... I I was very harsh in terms of Force Awakens. I think The Force Awakens is an awesome movie, but I'm still on that side where I, even though it is very much just disliked by many Star Wars fans and then many fans of The Force Awakens, I love The Last Jedi. I mm-hmm. it was bold choices that Ryan Johnson made, but I think that he definitely he took what jj abrams did and decided to go a complete opposite direction and and i i'm still all on board for that i i think jj abrams like with with star trek when he rebooted star trek that first movie that's first star trek i i still love that to this day i'm with you on the the other two Um, and then, and then what <laughs> happened? What he did? What they did with Star yeah. Trek Discovery? Because what he did is he took Star Trek that's a cerebral, yes, fi- a more series. It's always been about the characters and and little moral uh, plays, morality plays, and things like that. And he he, he tried to make it Star Wars, yes. where it's all action and no character development. And I and I think he's very good at I. I can't say he's very good at setting up series. I think he did a good job of setting up Star Trek. It didn't really pan out the way it should have, but he did a good job with the first one. I think he did a good job setting up Force Awakens, and I think there was a lot of promise there. They really did get their they get back they got backed against the wall with they lost originally the director for Episode Nine, and then also losing Carrie Fisher. They. I don't want to say they had to go with J.J. Abrams, but it was definitely a safe way out. And yeah. we'll see how it pays off. I but and I, and I don't like how Hans... Uh, Hans did not have a hero's death. Uh, Luke just sort of faded off into the, I don't know, the Jedi ghost universe somewhere. I didn't like how he went out. I, I, so I've been very disappointed with how they've handled the original characters. Luke's... So. Uh, Luke's... 
as time goes on with me, it, Luke's death is more poignant within every time I watch it. Uh, it really, like, it's, he transcended because he got to such a dark place with him. And I get the same thing kind of happened with Han. He gave, he gave up. He turned his back on what his past was with Leia and with his son. And he was searching for that redemption and it bit him. But then with Luke, it was kind of the opposite. Luke was also, he was redeeming himself, but he did that and more. And, and now he is bigger because of that. But we're not here to just talk about Star Wars. No, let's move on. Yeah, with, with Marvel, I'm not... Marvel, for me, this was the blowover section of this. I, I love any time Kevin Feige comes out, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, it's, I, to me, it was just... They had to talk about some, some stuff with, with them. The, the Black Widow footage, of course, was awesome, but... Mm-hmm for me like we talked about with the live stream and it still holds the the most exciting aspect of this panel was probably jungle cruise and oh, everything because in the live you action. got to hold hands with the rock it was and it, it just looks so fun <laughs> it was the best entrance ever <laughs> like we talked about on the live stream he came in on that jungle cruise boat he and he was dressed like humphrey bogart in his striped shirt you know, and all that. John Humphrey Bogart from the from the um, African Queen, and yeah. so I like it. I I was down on this film until because you know Disney has such a great track record with making films based on theme park attractions, and this looks good. This looks like yeah. a lot of fun, and I think that's partly where they wanted to make sure we knew up front with this panel. The more I thought about it. They want us to know that this is them remaking, like they said over and over again, this is them remaking the classics that they love, like African African Queen, Romancing the Stone, Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. It just also happens to be related to the Jungle Cruise. And I think that's the... That's the aspect to remember with this movie when it does come out, is that we're not watching... We're not watching the Jungle Cruise being brought to life. We're watching Disney's take on the African Queen, as well as Romancing the Stone and Indiana Jones, and which I love the the dramatic irony of it all is that you know Walt gets inspired by the African Queen to and his true life adventures to make the Jungle Cruise, and now mm-hmm. we come full circle, and now we have our own African Queen coming around and with the one way they showed the one trailer it almost like as soon as they showed the rocks version of the trailer like we talked about in the live stream they we saw the two different sides the rock being the hero and then also the the emily emily blunt being the the strong female uh personality in it taking the bumbling rock on this adventure but with with the rock side of it it was very much in that same vein of the african Mm -hmm. queen with even though Catherine Hepburn is is super strong, I mean it's it really is Humphrey Bogart being a a drunkard who is still still getting up up upriver and saving the day. So yeah, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. The next couple, I am not. <laughs> I am not looking forward whatsoever to Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Nope. Nor am I looking forward to Cruella. I, yeah, I really nope, don't care nope. about her at all. I don't care about what made her cruel. I, I it's, it's I, I don't care. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's I. I am one of those people. I, I grew up right at the time where I should be obsessed with uh, with Glenn Close as Cruella Deville in the Hundred One Dalmatians and Hundred Two Dalmatians. I despise those movies growing up. I just yeah. did not care about them. I love Hundred and One Dalmatians, the animated movie. I don't think there's anything you can do to get me excited about anything live action involved with it. No. And I still don't understand why Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, is channeling Elvira, Mistress of Darkness, by fighting in her bustier. <laughs> so. To me, if you're going to channel it, just just flat out copy it. So mm-hmm. let's not beat around the bush on it. And I'd rather watch Elvira. I love Elvira. Oh, she's great. Yeah. It's too bad she retired. So. She she still pops up at cons and stuff. I should have saw her. I had the chance last year to go and, and meet her for the very first time, and I am kicking myself for not doing so. Oh, pops up or pops out. I mean, <laughs> anyway. Oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, and then of course then we there's Pixar and like I talked in the live stream there and, and we talked about it before on the show the the film. A Pixar film I was not the least bit interested was Onward, and now I really can't wait to see it after seeing the clips for that. Yeah, I'm I'm all there for it. So I, yeah. it's it's very rare that we're actually disappointed by anything Pixar, and you know for me it's personally been a streak right now where I've been happy with generally everything for a while with Pixar. So I'm yeah I'm cautiously optimistic still. And I, I am just so thrilled we're not getting, you know, Cars 5 and, you know, things like that. I mean, everything that they said was all um, all, all original. originals. Yeah. So, you know, so at least they can, you know, we, we have nothing to complain about. Uh, so, you know, yeah. hopefully folks are going to support the original films. Yes, and I, I think they will. That being said, though, let's not beat around the bush. Cars 3, ultimately... It's the best Cars movie in that entire series, it's so I'm glad good. that I'm glad that it was able to redeem, and that's what that's where I'm okay when a movie the original is just okay. I'm okay with them revisiting it as a sequel. So, like for me, I love Monsters Inc. and mm-hmm. I thought it's always been underappreciated. So then I'm like, okay, well, with Monsters University, they're giving it a second life. They're giving it a chance for people who didn't quite appreciate it the first the first one around. Let's give them the, the movie that they were really waiting for. It went the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So that happens with Cars. Cars 1, okay. Cars 2, terrible. Cars 3 completely redeems everything. The, the hard ones for me is where you get like a Finding Dory where it's like, Finding Nemo was pretty close to perfect. It's not it's not my favorite Pixar movie, but it was close to perfect. So Finding Dory, it, yeah, it was a huge juggernaut and you know, just completely successful money-wise, but it's never going to be loved like Finding Nemo was. It's never mm-hmm. going to stand the test of time. So that was always my stance with the remakes in Pixar. Not necessarily, oh, is there a good story to tell? It's it did the first time around, did we not nail it correctly? Can we give it another chance? And mm-hmm. as soon as they get it right, I feel like it is time to close the door. They they closed the door perfectly on Toy Story 3. Toy Story 4 reopened it for some weird reason. But uh, now it's on to the age of the originals. 
back again and I I with with Pete Doctor leading the show on this and and making sure it's all originals, I don't think we're going to be disappointed for a very long time. I agree. I agree. And then of course Frozen 2 looked good. So <laughs> you know, but um we'll see. Um, I did uh, the highlight for me for that was the cast coming out and singing that one song with yeah, the, with, with the stuffed Sven. I, Sven is my yeah. favorite character in in the whole film. I don't know why. <laughs> I would have rather skipped Frozen too, as much as I love Frozen and I don't like when people talk badly about Frozen. I would have rather skip, skipped Frozen too and just talked more about. Uh, I don't want to sound insensitive on this one, but it was Kiki and her dragon or Yeah, that I looked for- really good. I completely the name is blanking on me and oh, it got go the least heads. amount of press since well, Yeah, that and the and Soul, but I, I think they're still wrapping their heads around yeah. Soul. And which sounds good, you know how a baby's born with a soul, soul goes to school and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um it's I think it's Rhea. Rhea, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I jumped to Kiki, which is one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies. Yeah, yeah. So. that's what I was thinking. I thought <laughs> I know that name, Rhea and yeah. the Last Dragon. That sounds really cool too. Yeah, so, um, both. Yeah, it's I was and and as much as I was excited to hear more about Onward in both in both the case for Disney Animation and Pixar, I was more excited about hearing about Soul and Rhea than I was mm-hmm. about Onward and, and Frozen 2. So that's always a nice surprise. Yeah. Is there anything you're surprised that we didn't hear announced? Any, any like, rumors no. or scuttlebutt? You know, no. how they always have the unnamed... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I mean, Rhino going into it, not to speak on his behalf, but he wanted more Marvel. He wanted to hear about Guardians 3. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we, we know there's more Disney movies coming out in the future here uh, in terms of live action. So, yeah, th- I mean, there's there's obviously stuff that I was hoping to hear about. But at the same time, too, this year for the Expo, uh, which I'm sure we'll share again in our overall thoughts to me, this was... This was a year about Disney Plus, and then everything else was updates, mm-hmm. and that's that's the the entire convention as a whole. It was it was a chance for all of us to get together and update on us, us on what's happening, and then also push the hell out of Disney Plus. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, okay, and then of course the big one for folks. Well, some people really go love, love the Walt Disney Studios one because they they like to see all the stars and all that come yes, out. Yes, they love to see Angelina Jolie's robot. <laughs> yes, and a lovely one it is too. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, sneak peek Disney parks, resorts, and products. Now we have gone into detail in our live stream. We've gone into detail on this on the Walt Disney World show and our Disneyland show. Um, so we're not going to go into a lot of details. I have thoughts. Um, what are we looking forward to? Okay, the big the the park that's getting the love here is Epcot. So. Um, Mm-hmm. So, uh, Craig, what what are you looking forward to the most? I mean, this is a reimagining of that park. So yeah, I, and I'm. This is where everything gets really difficult. I'm I'm ready for Epcot 
to have heart again. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that this this change does that. Like uh, the other day, I was I was at Epcot, just standing in front of uh, the Fountain of Nations and just admiring it and it, How realizing much of it was working. I, no, it, it was all working. I mean, oh, okay, of course, the, the speakers were way too low, and you couldn't really appreciate the entire the entire show that was going on. But just standing there watching it made me realize, like. It's something that I don't, I didn't need to realize, but we as a culture have come so far that, like, I, I don't know how it was back in the eighties and stuff, but it's just we're not at a place anymore where people want to stand around and appreciate details like that. There are yeah, Disney fans I, I out always, there. Yeah, I always stop and watch that. Yeah, and show. Yeah. The, we're out there, but as a whole we're not there and you know if if we watch fountains we need to make sure that there's projections on them and they're showing us characters we know and love and, and there's colors and lights and, yeah yeah and so something like the fountain of nations just knowing what it stands for what the the beauty of of it as a as an idea that's it's awesome i love it it doesn't it doesn't fit with the audience that is currently visiting Disney parks and it's hard admitting that and a lot of Epcot is like that right now a lot of Epcot just doesn't fit with what people are looking for and and I hate it because I feel like I grew up going to Epcot at the the best time in the the early 90s when you know everything was basically still running that that people are so nostalgic for today with with horizons and and you know classic spaceship earth before just black curtains at the ending and original journey into imagination and everything living living with the land with actual narrators and not just a speaker telling you what you're seeing and Mm -hmm. so so the hardest part about epcot is stepping back and saying to myself it's not in a great place right now it's i want it to be but it's it's not is it not in a great place because do you think do you think it could have been could they have kept the future world concept and and made made it more relevant gone back to the edutainment thing and and redid these rides rather than going I think in some ways they took the easy way out and they're making Magic Kingdom 2.0. Yeah. Maybe they could have gone that way. I think I think the bigger struggle with that is Disney's not interested in that audience anymore. I think they're looking they're looking at a new more consumer friendly audience, one that isn't necessarily involved in okay i just love the theme parks they want they want that all around not saying that that was never their goal and you know we could literally take it all the way back to walt knowing the importance of all of it but more than ever it's it's about checking off everything it's about checking off how can i involve movies how can i involve consumer products how can i involve television how can i involve theme parks all in one and it's They've created a beast that they can no longer contain. So now something that, like Epcot, that didn't have to be intellectual property heavy, 
before could be edutainment. It's now gotten to the point where to keep up with consumers, they have to change it. And I hate that I sound like a figurehead for Disney in that, but this is one part where I do understand what they're saying. It's when they say it's what consumers want, they're not saying it's what Disney fans want. It's what true consumers do want. And sometimes I think they completely miss the mark on that. They miss the mark with it in terms of Galaxy's Edge and, yeah. and that. It's consumers weren't asking for that. I consumers were asking to live their Star Wars story the same way mm-hmm. they were able to go live their Harry Potter story by reliving these places that they know and love from the Star Wars movies. And they they did not they they made a beautiful land that I do believe is a hundred percent a success, but it's not what consumers wanted. They want what is they want what's natural to them. And when people are like, You haven't been to Batu yet, that just doesn't register. <laughs> so um that's my long winded way of saying to your your original question with it. I feel like had they had they set the parks up for a different a different path, then edutainment would still work. But it's just they created a beast they can't control, and I'm not saying they can't undo it one day, but not right now. Right now, they've got to make the changes they're making. Yeah, it's disappointing because I think it's a park that's lost its focus and lost its theme. And it is. It's just a, a different version of a Magic Kingdom is what yeah. it's becoming now. You know, and they try to say that Moana-themed water thing is going to, to teach us about the life water cycle. Great. I hope it does. I hope it teaches us something. And maybe if they can do that and have a... And I, I do think it is going to be a, a Moana meet and greet, yeah. ultimately. Um Great. Maybe they'll say, okay, maybe we can do a little more of this. And I, But I'm saddened to see it go, you know, the yeah. original Imagineers concept. Speaking of original concepts, let's go to Dreamer's Leap or whatever that thing and is Dreamer's called. Point. That's it. And let's point out something here. <laughs> and that is the statue of Walt Disney. I do not object to having a statue of Walt Disney there. Walt would object to having a statue of Walt Disney mm-hmm. there. I object to the backstory that they have put in it. This is Walt looking out at his vision realized. And as I said in our live stream, that is, this is not Walt's vision realized. This doesn't come close to Walt's vision realized. Walt envisioned a city. And that's why this statue is different from the partner statue, where it is him and Mickey standing there and Walt showing Mickey, look at what we have done. Yeah. And the one at, at, at Disney California Adventure, its backstory is not that Walt has created this park. It's that this is Walt as he appeared in the era that Buena Vista Street is depicting and it's Walt and Mickey embarking on their career of telling stories together. And it's not meant to be a connection necessarily to the park itself. So I'm fine with that statue as it is. I have a problem with the backstory for this statue. And if they would change the backstory 
I would be fine with it. Or if they had a permanent interactive exhibit of what was Walt's original sto- um, uh-huh. vision, have the city of the future there and how it worked, and then show how the ideas Walt had for that city have been implemented. How have they been implemented in Epcot as as the theme park? How has it been implemented um, around Walt Disney World? But how has it been implemented go- globally? A lot of what Walt has you know, um, envisioned has been implemented, not in this country necessarily, but monorails are in other countries and some of his other ideas for energy and all of that and um, waste um, control and all that have been implemented. I would love to see that as associated with the statue. And then I, th- I think a lot of the objections would be gone. And Mm -hmm. it would be holding true to his legacy. And they could tie in the fact that the world showcases a larger um, idea that that did originate from a section of Epcot, the city, which was the international marketplace. Mm -hmm. So um, that Roy said, we need to have a reason for people to come in here and we need to have the consumers come in here into this city to buy things. If we're going to sustain the city, we need the you know, we need a theme park to help sustain this city. So uh, if they did that, I would be much happier. But for them to rewrite history, that this is Walt looking at his dream, I that I object to. And I don't like this rewriting of Walt's history. I, I think we also have to wait to see when it opens up what's being said about it, especially from the uh, the aspect of the Imagineers that actually work on it. I'm not trying to I, I'm not trying to sit here and be that guy who's who's knocking on Chapek, but uh, there was there was several times, not even just in this panel, but in other panels where it, it was clear that there was someone was writing these scripts who had no idea what they were talking about. Oh, and yeah. I, it's uh, just a complete disconnect in, in terms of what actually we, what is true Disney and what's not. I mean, it's some we've been vocal about that we laughed about, like during the legend ceremony, uh, it, not not the Christina Aguilera one. Now I can't remember it. It just slipped out of my head. There was a, a statement that Bob Iger made that was just completely wrong in, in terms of in terms of Disney and. And, you know, Christine Aguilera screwed it up, too. But uh, it's this happened a couple times throughout the weekend where it it felt like the people running the company didn't know anything about the past. And they were just reading off teleprompters. And and even then, it wasn't anyone who was in the know actually writing this stuff. It was some intern or something somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I I have hope that eventually down the road here, when, when Dreamers Point opens up and the statue opens up, that that there will be an Imagineer who actually sets the record straight on it and and talks about the story and, and talks about it in terms of the parks and it makes sense. Uh more sense than it does now. But it's I, I will agree with you. It, it there the story that they came up with, it was it was butchered. 
Mm-hmm. So that, oh, and that's not okay. Yeah. And that's not the first time, like you, I've run into this. I talked way back when about that terrible tour I took at Epcot, where this woman is saying things like it was Ub Iwerks who is responsible for the loss of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and, and things. And I... I was just fuming during this whole thing and I held my tongue and then I when I called and she kept talking about how proud she was that she had written the script and I learned later she was like the head of the tours mm-hmm. and and I don't mind I hope I hope she's listening and um and then but I doubt she is and 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 then it was you know she wrote this and da 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 and when I called her on it she said well well this is what they told me in Burbank I thought, well, well, so you're reading a script? Yeah. Because I told you, you need to read a book about your founder. And um, because I said, right on, within the first five pages of any biography, you've got all kinds of things wrong. Mm -hmm. And I I went and reported her. I went and complained. I was also having problems with my magic band at the same (laughs) time. It was a good opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. And I I was just appalled. Yeah. um, yeah, so there is a disturbing lack of knowledge in the force, in the Disney force, in in the um, in, in 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 the company knowing its own history. Yeah, no, I'm, t- I'm right there too. So mm-hmm. that it hurts, but you know what, I I stay optimistic that in the future the the mistakes that were made on stage will eventually be righted. I hope so. I hope so. And that the folks that hear the misinformation will um, be enlightened. Yes. By listening to us and other places. So. Agreed. Were there any disappointments besides that statue for me that you had <laughs> with the announcements? Uh, no, actually not. I don't. I, I don't know. I had zero expectations coming into the parks panel as mm-hmm. I. I made it clear that was one of the number one things we got asked on every show leading up to it it's like well what do you expect them to say what do you want them to talk about do you want them to talk about brazil did they not talk about brazil because of all of the things happening in brazil right now are you upset there wasn't more i I didn't think they would announce brazil because because disney's not going to build a whole pavilion without some sort of financial assistance brazil's in no position economically to to help finance a pavilion. Yeah. And I, I don't have a doubt that the plans aren't there and they're not working hard oh, at it. Absolutely. But, you know, things I was, change. <laughs> I want Greece. I'm holding out for a Greek pavilion. Yeah. It's, uh, but. but ultimately, I, you know, it's the, the same thing. We can go into it here too. It's like, yeah, well, what's going to happen with, with Tomorrowland at Disneyland? What's going to okay. happen with it at Walt Disney You're World? Like, territory. There is my disappointment. A lot of disappointments at Disneyland. Yeah, it's, uh, the, but but be, before we get there, though, it's we knew going into this panel that the big things was going to be Epcot and it was going to be Avengers Campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the panel. It, the the panel usually gets some dictation from whatever the exhibit is and the exhibit basically showed epcot showed avengers campus showed the halcyon the star wars uh, hotel galactic yeah. star cruiser not hotel 
immersive wow. experience. Cruise ship, yes. A hotel would imply that you're allowed to leave and go wherever you are at any point in time. That's this right. Not, you're so. under lock and key and surveillance, <laughs> yes. and I assume they're putting a shock collar on yeah. you. And that's uh, <laughs> that's why I am. I will tirelessly work to get the name Star Wars Hotel out of the system because if you want to stay at this Star Wars Hotel, you're going to have to be okay with being a part of the story and being shoved into it so uh well, that's your jihad you go yeah. for it <laughs> <laughs> it is but i mean even then with with what happened in the the disney parks and resorts exhibit you know there was two big kind of well actually only one really but because they mentioned mickey and minnie runaway railway but more in the sense it showed some of the the little previews of it and but it was really just a blip on the radar and then they had uh the tron light cycle ride vehicle sitting at the 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 booth as well as the costumes but even then that wasn't mentioned during the panel so there was well, it, they had already mentioned it yeah they, they had but so but being that the the booth was basically set around epcot and epcot and avengers campus and happening on sunday not on saturday you kind of knew that whatever was going to be announced was going to to go to correlate to what was happening in the booth and they weren't going they weren't going to drop anything about tomorrowland on a sunday and then also not have anything to back it up in a booth saying look at it here i mean it's one thing for small announcements but i i don't know it, and it was different when the panel used to be on saturday like Saturday, that gives you another day to still build hype and excitement around it. So for me, I went in expecting very little from anything, and I walked away getting very little, but my expectations were completely met. Yeah, well, mine were not. <laughs> Despite everything you said, our Tomorrowland is an embarrassment, and it's 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 time for the bulldozers to rev up. They're going in the right direction, getting rid of those rocks, but um, just to open up the pathways a bit. But um, yeah, I was disappointed with that. I'm disappointed with the Spider-Man attraction going in because there is that cool Spider-Man attraction over at Universal Studios or Orlando. I mean, that is a great attraction um and then we're getting basically a variation of buzz Lightyear, and yeah um, and it, i'm very disappointed with that yeah we've we talked about it i don't remember if it was on walt disney world or even with universal or just off mic at some point in time uh with with anyone but i for me we knew spider-man was going to be coming as part of this for a while but mm-hmm. I still stand by the point. If they can't build the best Spider-Man attraction in the world, then they should not have used Spider-Man. And yeah, I agree. There is exciting and as fun as it might be. I Islands of Adventure already built the ultimate Spider-Man attraction. There's, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm sorry. I it's I I, I love Disney. I love Universal. Both. It's just it's superior. So I. I absolutely agree with you. I, that's what I was saying. That that's a fantastic attraction. So um, anyway, and you know, I'm I'm I want two parades at Disneyland. 
I remember the days when we had a daytime parade and a nighttime parade, and I don't understand why they can't do it anymore. You know, so what? You're tearing everything out of the backstage area. Put in two storage places to have two parades. You did it before. So, um, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm tired of them sacrificing entertainment, you know, when, and that seems to be the way they go. Yeah. Uh, especially and, this past week with uh, yeah. more announcements of entertainment being cut and such. So, mm-hmm. real, real tough, real tough time right now for. Yeah, because. That's one of the things that makes Disneyland really unique. We, you know, we're losing all those little out-of-the-way places, and, and it's that entertainment. The characters just roaming, and, um, the, and all the live music. And it's, it's just sad that they're taking that away. I mean, why are they punishing us? They keep raising the prices. You know, I can't believe there's not some bureaucrat somewhere they can't start getting rid of. And all of that. I'm sure there's yeah, some a few I'm, administrative positions they could do without. Not that I want anybody to lose their jobs. I but, yeah, know. I think it's tough because I think then there are people like Josh Tomorrow who he I, he clearly understands when they're taking something away from Disneyland that that is not popular. And I mean, even on the basic level, like where we joked about on the Disneyland show a couple weeks back when I reviewed it, like he shows up to Disney California adventure when they changed the menu at lucky fortune, which is just insane that the president of Disneyland shows up for a quick service restaurant that changed their menu. But the menu was very popular and a lot of people loved it mm-hmm. and realized, Oh, this isn't going to be a popular decision, but let's, let's go out and give it the press that it needs and give it the attention it needs and show that it's all going to be okay. It makes me wonder with stuff like the entertainment cutback and stuff, this has to be happening over his level. Like it has to be at the point where their backs are against the wall and saying it's happening. And that's just it. And that's scary to think about too. Or he's just really good at, playing both sides and being quiet on the issues that they want to swept be have swept under the rug and then the ones that they really want to promote he wants to put them out there but i i have only met him once but just from the way that that pete has talked about him and other people from the dis talked about him and other people that i've known who've known him for for years and such it's it, it seems like with disneyland that that he really has Disneyland in his best interest. So there's something that seems to be fishy happening that's unrelated to him that are decisions that he doesn't even have control over. Or if he does, it's just, it's good at kind of, you know, not, not being out there front and center with it, but. Well, sometimes, you know, people can't rise to high positions if they don't know how to play both sides. That is also true. And I, that is that is a very good point. So, so I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I did. I attended a panel. Um, I managed to get in one other panel, and uh, it was travels with Marty, a conversation with the Scholars and the Imagineers. I went into this with really high hopes, and I was very disappointed. And you know, it could be that I'm spoiled. I've had the opportunity to hear Marty speak several times. I've spoken personally with Marty, you know, 
talk to him at Diz events, uh, the museum, Walt Disney Family Museum. I, I mean, just different places. And so maybe that's it. So, you know, because you told me, Craig, that you knew people came out of this and they loved it. I came out of mm-hmm. this profoundly disappointed. But um, Kevin, a fellow from the Walt Disney Archives, I guess has been hosting the stage, came out and said hi. And then it was um, Wendy Lefkin, um, the directing editor of Disney Editions, came out. And she was sort of the hostess of the thing. And she, it was a celebration of Marty, his family, and his sort of his progeny. And um, Wendy had met Marty in 1982, and she worked with him on the um, Burn Bomb Guides. And she joined Disney 25 years ago, and she helped him with his other books, Dream It, Do It, and One Little Spark Travels with Figment. And his last book was almost done when he passed away. So so Wendy had a plan. So... um, also on the panel was um, Leah Sklar, um, Marty's wife, who traveled with Marty a lot, and Leslie Scar, um, his daughter, who also helped Marty with his books. So um, Leah said that Marty was a very creative man, wrote everything longhand, and which, which I had known, because when I met him once, he had just come back from the archives when he was working on his first book, and he had his notebook and all of these post-it notes everywhere and everything was in longhand and um and then and with red marks all over it and so in 2017 um he handed leslie the last two chapters of his book and and that's the travels with figment one um when he and when he Past, they knew they needed to complete it. So Leslie knew his um, style and process um, for writing, and they they displayed the, some of what Marty's notes looked like, and it's impressive that she made sense out of it. Uh, the first process is to organize his office because he was a collector of paper. So there were stacks of paper everywhere that Marty referred to as files. Um, most of us would just see piles of papers. Um, she went through them all to see if there was anything for the book, and she found a secret chapter for the book that were by that was by Imagineer collaborators. So then she went through her parad parent storage unit for photos and then she went through his notes um his red pen edits he's famous for his red pen edits um polished it up and gave it to wendy to complete so there's photos of their trips in the book um long ago memories of the parks leah got to go on business trips um because Walt felt strongly spouses should travel on uh, travel on long trips. And so Leah really, other than that, all she really said was how well the Disney company treated them, which is very nice to hear. Then there, the, on the panel were, um, was Kevin Rafferty, Imagineers Kevin Rafferty, Daniel Jewell, and Bob Weiss. I expected great things out of these guys. And I felt like... They didn't have a lot to share here, or they were just unwilling to. Um, Kevin at D twenty three, they would they did, said they did a panel together. Marty wanted to meet in the morning, and on his way there was a man with Disney tattoos, and on him, and I think we've seen this guy on Diz cruises and all that. And one had a fa- one of the tattoos is a face of Marty, so he 
told Marty that, who then like spit out his coffee. And, um, you know, again, Marty said going to a Disney park was about reassurance and fun. Uh, Walt was a great storyteller uh, and well-seasoned. And, uh, and then, and then, and that um, Marty could help an Imagineer create the impossible. So tell me if you can, if. And, you know, Marty was there for the opening of every park. He went over all over the world to see attractions being built. He, um, you know, Kevin said he was always there for us. Um, he was there in the field with hard hats. And he would show slides of Marty in, in the field with hard hats and talking with folks and literally in the trenches sometimes. Um, Kevin wrote and directed videos with Marty and would, um, you know, and and he they, they did like videos like where they parodied Encino Man and you know stuff like that and um th- th- and so they talked a little about that and I was like it for Kevin I thought dear lord I mean you must have more memories than that um Daniel Jew he worked for Walt Disney um imagining for 15 years before working closely with Marty and that was only after he moved to Japan and he hosted Marty and his family when they went there and he talked about how they went to a baseball game and they met um Bobby I think it was Valentine Valentini something he had been a Dodger and was now a coach and he said Marty and Bobby got along well and he uh, and and that Bobby uh, that Marty took time out of the presentation um time out of his vacation to give a presentation to the Orlando um Oriental Land Company and this and and to the Disney team and he did um Mickey's Ten More Commandments. And he went a little more into that. And um, that that was really it for that. And he had, his, he had a um, very special memory of when Marty went to the 15th anniversary of Tokyo Disneyland with John Hinch. Um, Bob Weiss said that he admired Leah and Leslie for finishing the book. He met Marty during the latter part of Tokyo Disneyland being built, and they had, he had a special place in his heart for those who would work overseas, that Marty did, and he never let the company forget about Tokyo Disneyland, and that Marty had a sardonic sense of humor, and he was very grateful to be invited to Shanghai Disneyland. Because, you know, by that time, Marty was retired. And they said mm-hmm. that, um, you know, Marty's style of management was by walking around. And he emphasized that we were all a team and we should work together. And um, and that was it. You know, Q&A, you know, Marty's favorite park was Disneyland. And Leah and Marty were married shortly after he began working at Disney. I, I really got... Like really, they went in a lot of detail what it takes to publish a book, and I found that interesting. But otherwise, I don't know. I came away really expecting more behind-the-scenes stories and shenanigans about Marty. So I was just sorely disappointed, given at least that Bob Weiss and Kevin Rafferty were there. Yeah, I guess it just ends up being if you really had the chance to see marty talk before uh, once multiple times and then on top of that just how much how much you already knew 
So, yeah. uh, for in because if if this was your first time ever getting to hear anything about Marty, then I, I guess there's definitely a benefit to it. But mm-hmm. uh, it's you know it, I, I'm glad they they still were able to to pay tribute to Marty another time. So. And hopefully it's not the last. So I know yeah. new information is going to be hard to come by, but uh, it's still important to keep Marty in our brains. Absolutely. And and I'm glad they finished his book. And I do hope that they find ways to um, give tribute to him. So uh, that's about it for, I think, the panels. Um, there, there were some interesting show floor and exhibits there. Uh, you talked about Walt Disney Archives presents Heroes and Villains, the Art of Disney Costuming. Was there anything more you wanted to say on that, Craig? I, I mean, it's it was a panel, or sorry, not a panel. It was a, it was an exhibit where you just literally look at costumes, and mm-hmm. while they're beautiful, and and hopefully you get to see the one that uh, that you've been waiting for forever. It's I I hate when they're costume heavy. So this one was still interesting, like having the the three Sanderson sister costumes there mm-hmm. was was cool because they also brought like they brought along the vacuum cleaner as well too, yeah. which <laughs> a, a nice little touch. I personally loved that they had Benjamin Gates's costume, and of course you know Benjamin Gates from National mm-hmm. Treasure. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, and then there's all the ones that you expect to see in there. So some of the costumes from the last Beauty and the Beast live action movie stuff from Dumbo so it's mm-hmm. these things they they maintain my interest for a short amount of time uh, i it's not my favorite archives exhibit i've no. seen and i'm the tired Expo. of them showing costumes cuz yeah. they did that at destination d too yeah. they they did they had glenn closest some of her costumes from cruella uh, from the, the 101 dalmatian films they did have uh, a few of the mary poppins and mary poppins returns costumes yeah but and, even with that i wish like my first expo was when they had the archives that was basically all mary poppins yes and that was good (laughs) yeah that was good did you see the um yeah for me the highlight was uh i always love seeing cinderella's dress from the live action film it was interesting Mm -hmm. how they showed all the different cinderella dresses that they've done over the live action how they've all been interpreted either from television or films so i enjoyed that the coach we've talked about that was extraordinary and um did you see the avatar exhibit i saw it from the doorway but i kept telling myself okay when i have time i'm gonna go inside and then i never made it back up because it was on the second or third floor and i didn't go up there very often yeah i yeah i went up there and um it was fine i couldn't figure out why they were doing it uh because I don't know what that was an announcement that wasn't made is when is this the next Avatar film coming out? I I think it said like 2021 or something on the exhibit sign. They just aren't quite ready to talk about Fox properties yet. Yeah, well, (laughs) and then uh, but anyway, it was interesting. I don't think there was much I hadn't seen in other exhibits before. They had a lot of the weapons and a lot of the jewelry, which was interesting, and a lot of the woven things, mm-hmm. and, and you know some of the maquettes and busts and stuff like that. A couple photo ops, you could stand in their shoes, you know, and have your and take your photo and stuff like that. So it was fine. Yeah, 
But um, and you already sort of talked about shopping. Was there anything else like um, you know, like Disney Music Emporium? I got I got some vinyl there. I got the Tiki Room one. I don't know yes, what yeah. else I got. I know I got a couple of others. I don't know what else they were selling. Yeah, so. I went up to them and I flat out asked. I said, "Are you going to sell this online?" Because I do not want to travel back to Orlando with it in case I break it and. The first time they were going, you know, if it sells out, it sells out. And then I went back the next day and I was like, tell me you're going to have it. And they're like, yeah, it'll be online in the next couple weeks after mm-hmm. the expo. And if you scan your ID, then we'll send you a 23% discount that will essentially pay for your shipping. Yeah, I got Sold. that. Oh, I got um, the Galaxy's Edge final. I thought about it and then I was like, eh, I just, it's... Uh, I can't foresee myself spinning that one a lot, so I ultimately didn't decide to go with it. But as soon as I see that they release the Enchanted Tiki Room on on Disney Music Emporium, I will I will own that. I just I've I've broken vinyl too many times flying, and I know you're probably asking how many times have I flown with vinyl records, but enough that I. I need to not keep making that mistake. <laughs> if, if I buy a vinyl, it needs to just be shipped to me, or I need to get it at my record store locally and drive home with it and yeah. be safe. I've flown twice so far, so yeah. but I put it in my carry-on and I have it all cushioned. Yeah, this. and this time it's my carry-ons were shoved because of all the the sorcerer's gifts and everything like that. I really. I had um, no safe room in any of my... I, I had a little room in my backpack, but even then, TSA, you know, had to to make sure that they checked every little inch of that uh, in terms of what they can break in there, so... Okay. Well, do, do you have any... Um, oh, the other thing is that the, there was a sock company that a co-worker had told me about, and they were there... And uh, I, they're they're rather costly socks, but he told me they're they're well cushioned and supportive and all that. They had Disney socks, they had everything, but they had a set that were exclusive to the D twenty three Expo. They're probably online. Um, they were Fantasia socks, and they they had Chernabog oh, was one of them, fun. my favorite Disney villain. And if you bought the set. Um, you you got a you. They gave you a, a choice of either Iron Man or I think or no Spider Man or Iron Man socks, a pair free. Mm-hmm. And but I said, well, I'm a. And they had some Captain America ones sitting next to them in the same style. I said, oh, you know that's great, but I'm a Captain America fan. And he said, okay. <laughs> and then he gave me the Captain wow. America socks. So yeah, I anyway. uh, there was there wasn't really anything that caught my eye on the showroom floor the only about the only place i shopped at really uh was besides the big stores was i i shopped at box lunch because that's where i get a lot of my fun shirts mm-hmm. and stuff and so they had like uh they had a star wars endor i saw that one. shirt and so like i got i got that but yeah. did otherwise- you see the jungle book one Yes, I. That it, was cute. Yeah, there yeah. It, they every single one of them was good. It just really came down to how much money do I realistically have to spend on on these shirts right now, and yeah. and the answer was not a lot. So I, I I didn't go crazy, and a lot of like I 
a lot of the showroom floor, it's just you get caught up in the moment. You're spending lots of money, and and they know it, and they can put something exclusive on there, and you don't take the time to check it and see if it's online, too, and potentially sometimes even save money by buying it online because you're just you're there and you're you're mm-hmm. living it so yeah. it's uh, i mean it's uh, the show floor that is not while i'm there i, I understand yeah. there's many people who are there solely for that it's it's not for me i just i get bored walking around there very quickly yeah i i wander around i learned how to play villainous my daughter had given it to me for christmas and yeah. we had friends who said it's so complicated they gave up i thought uh-oh and then i went and they showed me how to play it's yeah. not too bad, a lot to remember, but it's not bad. It looks like fun. I now have to find friends to play with me. <laughs> and then and then, then later they had they had the expansion kits and later they were twenty five percent off, but I missed that yeah. sale. But um anyway. But um yeah, I l I I'll I'll do one pass on the floor just to see. And then there are a few that I missed, like I couldn't find them at Walt Disney Family Museum. So I had, yeah. I had a nice chat with the folks from the um Walt Disney Hometown Museum in Marceline, which mm-hmm. I'll have to chat with you about, Craig, because they are thrilled if we would come out there <laughs> and even do a show from there. And they will work with me in, in whatever research I want to do. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. to know. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, well, that Craig, that about sums it up for the 2019 D23 Expo. What? Uh, how did you feel about this one compared to the previous ones overall? I, I honestly thought it was just as good as the rest. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it was a different expo, and it was not perfect here and there, but uh, it's it was it was a good time. And it, it's, a, it's a nice every two-year way to bring Disney fans together in a big way. And like we've talked about before, uh, Destination D is great for that one subsection of fan that cares about the history and loves sitting through these historical panels of many sorts and some some random panels that are surprises like last time around where we got to hear some of the the music of Mary Poppins Returns which that's like you never expect stuff like that but happy when it happens but with with Destination D on those off years that's like a more intimate gathering of Disney fans that are passionate about one subsection. But then with D23 Expo, I mean, this is where you just bring everyone together and on it. And so it's, even though it's something that I know many people wish would happen every single year, I'm, I'm always glad that it's, it's on that every other year basis and gives me time to breathe before the next one around. But it's, you know, it's, Regardless of like announcements and what you expect to hear and what you actually get to hear and what you expect to see and what what you want wanted to see and all that, like it, it's just it's a special time. So mm-hmm. I know I know it won't be my last, and I I know it won't be many many of the people who are listening or have attended before. I know it won't be their last either, and and that's that I think is is all that you have to take away from it because while we love going to the panels and stuff there is the whole group out there who literally goes and doesn't even step foot into a single panel doesn't care what happens in the parks and resorts panel because they'll find out about it later so it's it's such a broad event that it's 
you know, it, it, everyone can find something they like about it, and and there's no point in getting upset that you didn't get what you wanted out of it. Otherwise, were you really just setting yourself up for way too high expectations to begin with? Maybe, but I liked it. I enjoyed it also. And I felt they really tried to improve the experience this time around. Because, you know, we always complain that, you know, didn't they learn from the last expo? It's always a new crew and, you know, always new vendors that they use um, to run it. I felt this year they listened to the complaints and did their best to address them. You know, the reservation system wasn't perfect. I lucked out and got all the major panels. Maybe I wouldn't feel this way if I didn't get all the panels or didn't get any of the major panels. I probably would have a different opinion. And uh, But, you know, it's it, it was a step in the right direction. And I, as a result of not being able to see as much as I wanted in terms of panels, I got to see more of the show floor and, I, and the exhibits and things like that. So, so there was a trade-off. So I was pleased about that. Um, I think the best part for me was meeting our listeners. And I think we've, we've all said this on the other, sh- other shows that, that you've all been on, is that, you know, it was, I couldn't go a few steps without somebody coming up and saying hello and telling me how much they enjoyed the show and what the show meant to them and sharing a story or experience or something. There was, I, I think, I forget which panel it was, where, you know, I was there for hours and I just spent it, you know, we're waiting and I just spent it, it might have been Parks and Resorts. And the whole time it was nothing but listeners discovering I was there and Tom was there and Mary Jo and Nancy from the, the, the our classic Disneyland show she also came over and Luella was there. And suddenly we just started attracting listeners. And so we just talked the whole time with people. The time just spread by, you know, it just sped by. And there, there, were, there was a group sitting ne- next to us and they said, we don't know who you are, <laughs> said, but we've got to ask because all these people just keep coming up to you. <laughs> and um, and so I, I ended up, you know, finding out that they're interested in Disney history and I gave them my card and all that. So so maybe they're listening right now. So hello. But that was, that was the fun part was, um, you know, meeting, meeting so many of you out there who um, were kind enough to say hello. And um, so, so Mm -hmm. that's always fun because uh, where I'm at up in Northern California, I don't bump into a lot of listeners. So going to these events is, is a treat to to meet up with um, all of you out there yep. who enjoy listening to our stories. So thank you for coming up and talking um, talking with us. Com- completely agree with you 100%. Couldn't say it better myself. Oh, well, thank you. So, so that's it. So hopefully we'll see you all in a couple of years at the next D23 Expo and uh, and maybe we'll see you next year at Destination D in Orlando. I'm assuming they're going to have it. So it'll be interesting to see what they're celebrating. Probably, I would think, the anniversary of Walt Disney World. That would make sense, but yeah. why would we make sense? Yeah, who knows? Who knows what other anniversary they'll pull up? Could be the archives anniversary. Who knows? So anyway, that they're celebrating. Or maybe both. So... 
But until then, speaking of anniversaries and celebrations and all that, we'll have to see what are we going to be, what important dates are we going to be talking about in this week's uh, version of This Week in Disney History. Okay, Craig, so are you all set to find, let's see how well you know what went on? I'm feeling confident. In the world of Disney this week? I'm feeling good. All right, well, we're going to start out with September 15th. (laughs) I purposely put this in because we had talked about it a few weeks ago. Walt Disney World's Art of Animation Resort opened its fourth and final phase on September 15th, 2012. What is the name of this wing? The final wing was the Little Mermaid wing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It was the fourth and final phase. And this is, this features a larger-than-life Ariel overlooking the Little Mermaid Courtyard and 864 standard hotel rooms. I've never been in the Art of Animation Resort. So oh, heard. that's a shame. It's it's a wonderfully charming resort. Like it's it's everything you would want from like the heyday of All Stars and and Pop Century, but mm-hmm. actually done well. And then with the oh, the okay. suites done even even better. So it's and it's that that part of Disney that at least is still holding on to, to classic theming in the rooms as all the other resorts are going through their uh, their vacuum phase of making everything boutique and hard mm. floors with lots of whites and then just accent pieces throughout. So it, it's it's a nice piece, a nice remnant of of classic Disney, Walt Disney World, and specifically that's that's slowly going away and people aren't happy about. Yeah, yeah. I stayed at Pop Century so uh, years ago. Carol and I stayed there, so who knows? Maybe someday I'll end up at Art of Animation. Never know. So, okay, September sixteenth, Walt Disney World formally reveals plans for its new DVC resort on September sixteenth, two thousand and eight. What will be the name of this resort? You said two thousand and eight. Um. As a hint, it was of no surprise to anybody. I oh, I'm assuming <laughs> that here that was Bay Lake then. That's right. Yeah, Bay Lake Tower at Disney's Contemporary Resort, and it was confirming earlier reports that the 15-story tower rising just beyond the Magic Kingdom will be a DVC property. Yeah, Pete still talks about that time when went right around that and we all knew it was coming and it's some of us even saw blueprints <laughs> oh, well, well he was fortunate for that but I, I think everybody had figured it out and Disney is very slow in announcing it but I think it was because they had another property they were still selling that was the rumor a couple of them and mm-hmm. so they didn't want to announce this one and slow down the um, sales of the others that were going on that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Already, September 17th, the ABC TV series Walt Disney Presents airs for the last time on September 17th, 1961. The following week, the series will air on NBC. Under what name? Uh, that moved on to Wonderful World of Color. 
That's correct. Yes. Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, which is the name most I'm of us know it by. Um, and Siri, <laughs> Siri thought I was asking it a question, apparently, on my <laughs> Apple Watch. <I'm laughs> it so, does that once in a while. It just talks. That came through so loudly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, I wonder what she thought I was asking her that she couldn't do it for me. I don't know, but that was fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, September 18th, Rob Schneider, who'd been appearing in the Golden Horseshoe Review or at Disneyland, arrives in Orlando, Florida on September 18th, 1982, to prepare for his newest role. What will this role be? Uh, okay. You're going to have to correct me on here. Did you say Rob Schneider? Ron. 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 Okay. Sorry I, if I mispronounced uh, that. Ron was Dreamfinder. That's correct. He had been hired to play a wizard named Dreamfinder for Epcot's Journey into Imagination Pavilion, which will debut at the new theme park on October 1st. The actual attraction, Journey into Imagination, with Figment won't open until March 1983. I got very confused for a second. I'm like, well, Rob (laughs) Schneider joined SNL in the early (laughs) 90s, so he would have been 10 when he was somehow performing at the Golden Horseshoe Review. Very interesting. <laughs> wow, you are a Rob, Rob Schneider aficionado there. Oh, I'm embarrassed I'm to impressed. admit that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Walt, okay, September 19th. Walt Disney gives what will turn out to be his last press conference on September 19th, 1966. What did he speak about? Um, now, now Siri doesn't answer the question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not positive. I don't think it was Walt Disney World or anything involved with that, but I'm I'm kind of blanking on this one. Okay. He spoke about the development of the Mineral King Ski Resort in Southern California. Mm, yeah. So, nah, so Disney, you know, Disney's Sky Crown Resort will feature skiing, an alpine village, skating rink, a five-story hotel, dormitories for young people, and restaurants. After his passing, though, Walt's plans will be put to a stop when critics and environmentalists feel the untouched land would be desecrated. Congress will eventually vote to turn Mineral King into a part of Sequoia National Park. And we have to live with that regret all the time. But at the same time, you always need more parks. (laughs) That's true. Okay, September 20th. Following the attacks on September 11, 2001, it is reported on September 20th that the Walt Disney Studio has ordered a change to a scene in their extraterrestrial animated feature, Lilo and Stitch. What change was made to that film? I know it had something to do with a plane. I, was it just that the... I, I, don't, I don't remember what it was with it, but I know for sure there was a plane involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ending scenes have the cute little alien sneaking on board a 747 and taking the jumbo jet for a joyride through the towers of Honolulu. And the screenwriters have been asked to rewrite the last scenes, and they would end up replacing the airplane with a spaceship. Yeah, which, I mean, unfortunate when things like that happen, but good call in the end. 
Yeah. Spaceship makes more sense anyway. He was an alien. It, yeah, it actually does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. September 21st, Walt Disney appeared on the live radio broadcast of the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy Show on September 21st, 1947, to promote his newest animated feature. What is the name of this feature? Ooh, uh, 47. Um, it, so, it, was recent, it was recently on Turner Classic Movies, Treasures from the Disney Vault. Okay, I, you steered me in the right way with it. It's, it had to be fun and fancy free. That's correct, so. which we will talk about next week. And this features Edgar Bergen in live action sequences as the narrator of the Mickey and the Beanstalk segment. Uh, um, Bergen was a, uh, at the time, he was an actor and a very popular radio performer, best known as a ventriloquist. One of those ventriloquists that was, was a lot better on radio than on television or the stage because uh, he moved his lips. <laughs> As those of you who watched by the Fancy Free may have noticed. So, anyway. Yeah, I didn't watch it it, this time around. uh, But it it was the personalities that he gave to the the marionettes and the uh, wisecracking Charlie McCarthy that was really popular. So nobody cared that he moved his lips. So, anyway. I remember he was still around when I was a boy and was and was on hmm. TV shows like Jack Benny and, yeah. um, you know, Ed Sullivan, you know, when the variety shows were popular, yeah. the early variety shows. So anyway, well, that's it. Not too bad, Craig. Yeah, not too great either. Right in the middle. Well, I'll take it. <laughs> All righty. So. Okay, well, you know, one of the things that I got to do, I don't know if you got to do it too, Craig, uh, when I was at the D23 Expo, I was able to take time out to, you know, check out Disneyland. And one of the things I did was uh, see the Main Street Electrical Parade. Did you have a chance to see it this go round? I actually didn't, no. I was, I mean, I'll have a chance to see it out there when when I'm out this week. But now with, with Expo, the the one night that we thought we were going to have a chance to watch that and and also catch Disneyland forever we just we got bogged down so i oh it was the night that i had had the media event slash the sorcerers event mm-hmm. so it was like just just too much going on which is a bummer but at the same time it's i while i wasn't lucky catching Disneyland forever again i will be lucky enough with main street electrical parade so yeah that's fortunate. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I did with um, friends. We did the uh, Plaza um, Dining Pack, Plaza Inn Dining Package, so that you got reserved mm. a reserved space to see the Main Street Electrical Parade. I was hoping the space was going to be the seating that's uh, you know on the on the overlook of the Main Street Railroad Station. Unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> we we don't get anything to sit on except if you get there early enough to get planters. And I thought, okay, that's a little lousy. They should at least put up folding chairs or something. So where but were you at for it? We were we were looking at the Main Street Station in the little town square. Yeah, gotcha. where the cannons are yeah, and all yep. that stuff. Mm-hmm. So so it it was fine, but. 
you know, so that was nice though that we still had that space and it wasn't very crowded and all that. And we did end up finding space on some planters to sit on and everybody else sat. So nobody stood up, but you know, what I, and, and when it's, I thought, okay, you know, I've seen paint the night and I, you know, I saw, um, uh, you know, you know, other nighttime spectaculars at other parks. And I've seen up, Dated versions of the Main Street Electrical Parade, like at Tokyo Disneyland, you know, Dreamlights and all that. And I thought, okay, how is this going to hold up? This little, little old parade from you know the seventies, and you know when it came out, it was still magical. And I started to watch the audience and the guests, and I realized. This parade needs to be at Disneyland and maybe at no other park except, you know, the updated versions like at Tokyo that are running around and all that. But um, because this parade originated at Disneyland, it is a generational parade. I saw families, their grandparents and then parents and then the children of the parents. I mean, I saw generations of families together all enjoying this parade. And I realized those grandparents saw it when they were young. Then they brought their children to see it. And now their children are adults and parents bringing their children. And I thought this parade needs to live on at Disneyland for that reason, because people were enjoying it together as families and there were there's so many memories at Disneyland tied into this parade that I don't know they need to keep it in that that magical warehouse that we see in the commercials and have <laughs> that thing limp out every few years as a filler parade or something um, or for a summer because even with the low attendance that the park has been experiencing when the Main Street Electrical Parade rolled out in the evenings, attendance went back up because that that parade was still drawing crowds into the park. And that parade at Disneyland is still magical. It still fits at Disneyland. And it was a joy to see as much as I like Spect And I think Spectrum Magic was sort of that way at at the Magic Kingdom. That was sort of the parade for that part. People have so many fond memories of that parade. That parade somehow should have been able to live on and come back every few years. Yeah, and And, unfortunately, it just got the straight axe, basically. I mean, after its final time around, unlike, mm -hmm. you know, the first time when when it went away and we got Main Street Electrical Parade for a while. But even with that, too, that's that's the only other downside to it is that while so many people grew up watching Spectro Magic and, and taking that in and enjoying it and sharing it with their family and stuff uh, while it was here, then you do also, though, that's the hard part with 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 I agree why it, it should belong in Disneyland first and foremost, but it spent so much time at Walt Disney World in the couple times mm-hmm. that it was here that there are some people that I know that actually they don't really resonate with Spectro Magic because they saw Main Street Electrical mm-hmm. Parade. 
for the first time at Walt Disney World, and that was their parade. And then Spectral Magic was the thing that kicked it out, which I think, like, that's a hilarious notion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, it's it, it's odd like that. So uh, while while I think its main residency should be in Disneyland, it would be nice if every ten years they could bring it to Walt Disney World yeah. for for a small run. So yeah, and and just like you know, paint the magic sort of replaced uh, you know paint the night I should say replaced uh, you know Main Street Electrical Parade. You know we st- we love that parade too, but. Yeah, you know, even with these big, flashy, new nighttime spectaculars, there's space for Main Street Electrical Parade at both parks. And they definitely should keep bringing that back because there's such an emotional attachment to that parade. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it might not be the latest and greatest in technology, but it, it's, it, it's just, I don't know, it's just such a happy little parade. And it, and it elicits joy in its simplicity. Yeah, and, and, it features, and there's magic in its simplicity. Yeah, and it features a wide variety of characters. It has, mm-hmm. obviously, the song that is essentially an earworm. It just latches yeah. onto you and not, in my opinion, not in an annoying way. So I'm sure there's some yeah. people out there who say they hate it. But uh, I, it, it's one of those shows between the visual and the music. You just find your your feet tapping and you just kind of get right into it so yeah and you know at disneyland we keep we keep incorporating it into other parades well you know they attempt i guess technically light magic replaced um main city electrical parade but it lasted such a short time you know it we we just forget about it but that tried to incorporate Baroque down but people saw that as a slap in the face <laughs> <laughs> and um but paint the magic incorporates it and it de- and, pe- and and that elicits joy in people that paint the magic has that homage in it so yeah Baroque down is beloved you know by generations you know the Disney yeah. Disney version yeah. of it for this parade. So uh, I applaud. You know, people groaned when they first heard, "Oh my gosh, they're bringing out the Main Street Electrical Parade again." You know, when I saw it, I and I saw the reaction of the guests. I applaud them for doing it and keep doing it. Disney executives, this is a parade that that we need. This is a parade that just brings joy and. That's the cool thing about Disneyland is there's new things in there, but then there's the familiar. And this is a parade that is the familiar that we embrace. And yeah, keep keep it keep it keep bringing it back to Magic Kingdom and Disneyland. So anyway, so yeah. so you know, let us know out there. Did you um? What did you think of the D twenty three Expo? And did you um? Did, you know, do you like seeing the electrical parade being, um, you know, brought out of the magical warehouse um, every every so often? No. Anyway, so Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? In no way at all. <laughs> so, I'm just I'm cut off. But if you really want to, you can you can watch me on all the shows that we have on. Dis Unplugged uh, podcast network and such, and then as always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling. Check out the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Um, Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz, and you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter on our official Connecting with Walt 
Twitter page or Twitter account, whatever it's called, at Connecting Walt. And be sure to look for my Disneyland history segments on the Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Show. I'm rolling around another one in my head right now, getting it ready. Um, if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at DisneyUnplugged.com or, or at the link that Craig always has in our show notes. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Bye.